This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I'm Doug Cunnington, and I have a special guest today because Carl is on a trip, traveling, or he's sick, or he's not here. That's all I know. So I have my good friend, Amberly Grant. How's it going today? Excellent. I'm so excited to be co-hosting with you today. Bye, Carl. This is, yeah, this is going to be great. You were on the show before um, we interviewed you and you are in a, a different location today. So for the people that are not watching on YouTube, this is a, you know, a rare time we're doing like a remote in- interview. Um, well, really you're co-hosting because we're going to cover a topic today about, um, well, you had a good title. I'm going to let you mention it. So what are we covering today? Yeah. Academia. Is it worth it? And we're going to dissect whether the sort of traditional uh, four-year college degree model of secondary education, is that something we should you know, keep doing? Uh, are changes necessary? And we're going to dive into many different areas. Now, before we get into it, Amberly, for people that don't know you, can you give a little intro on your background? Like, what do you do now? Maybe a little history and... And then we'll we'll start diving into the topic area. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Amberly Grant. I actually got an idea about this topic because I run a Tuesday group, which is called Fin Talks. We meet every single Tuesday since March of 2020 to talk about different financial topics. I get to choose those topics, which causes me tons of anxiety on a weekly basis. Uh, and I like to pose questions to my audience, which is, you know, our 40 to 50 attendees every single week to think about the topic in a new and different way. So this past Tuesday, we did this topic of academia, is it worth it? And it was a really lively conversation. I wasn't sure how it would go, but it turns out that everyone has an opinion based on whether they went to university or didn't, whether they work at a university or maybe are a PhD student in research. Uh, And so it was a really great conversation. And when chatting with Doug, I thought maybe we should bring it to all of you and then eventually see your opinion. I also, uh, on top of FinTalks on Tuesdays, I do uh, Instagram education, like financial education. So I do fun reels. I like to think that uh, nothing is off limits. So taboo topics as well as, you know, um, kind of making fun of myself and different characters. Uh, It's really fun to take financial topics and make them fun and digestible for just general people, not just a FI audience. From your Instagram reels or posts or whatever, what's been like the most popular one? Did anything like kind of get tons more views? Anything kind of funny with that? Yeah, uh, actually, so I went viral. I have a lot of Airbnb and it turns out if you post anything online about Airbnbs or being a landlord, even if you try and do it right, people hate you. Um, and so I have over 4 million views on one of my videos um, or my reels. And that one is literally just about keeping things stored in your Airbnb. So just having a magnet cabinet lock so that it's like really nice and looks good. Um, and you can put like a little do not open for your your uh, Airbnb guests so that you can keep your towels and other uh, you know, additional toiletries or cleaning supplies in cabinets and making it look really slim and fresh uh, versus you know a big padlock on there. Uh, so that's actually my most viral video. Um, and then I had another one that had like almost a million views and I'm trying to remember, it was one of my quirky ones where I have like me as two different characters and I can't remember what it was. Okay. Well, I, I have actually stayed at one of your Airbnbs and it is so tempting to try to open those locks or open those cabinets that have the magnetic. It's like, do not open. It's like having yep. a button that says, don't push. Like all you want to do is figure out how to get in. So there wasn't anything like super cool. It's just like towels or something. Yeah, literally towels. And it's funny because 
people online were so hateful towards like, why are you locking towels away from guests? Well, because people need to only get what they need, which is two <laughs> towels per person. And the cool thing is we've had it where a guest very last minute, like as they arrived, said that they had additional guests they didn't tell us about. And so I was able to, to guide them to where the magnet was to open it up themselves and get their own towels, which was like really nice. So if someone was really curious, I'm more than happy for them to open it up. Please don't break the lock, but uh, just like check it out if you want to. There's just white towels in there. It's like a scavenger hunt. I'll have to tell my wife next time because she. I was like, oh, don't open those. She was very curious, like, we got to get into those cabinets and I'll yeah. tell her next time, just hunt around, there's like the little unlock thing. Exactly. So, and okay. it's funny because people online are like, well, now thanks for telling me the secrets. I'm going to bring a magnet every time I travel. And I was like, you're going to bring a magnet every time you travel to possibly maybe the Airbnb host has used this as a method, which I've never seen before. So, which is why my video probably went viral because it's a new and novel idea. and. I just like people are funny online. <laughs> yeah, I always have magnets with me anyway. So, yeah. okay, let's move on and we'll talk about our own college experiences just to give people kind of a foundation and understand where we're coming from. I think we probably both have, I mean, everyone has uh, their own biases on certain topics so people can understand why our opinions are the way we are. So, Amberly, uh, tell us about your college experience. Well, I like to say I have three different college experiences. One, I'm from Canada originally. I'm from Ottawa, and I moved from Ottawa to uh, Los Angeles when I was <clears throat> when I was 19 years old. And so, the day I turned 19, I hopped in my car, drove down to LA, and stayed there for like a year and a half. I ended up living with students from Loyola Marymount University, and I worked, you know, full time at a bar in Hermosa Beach, and uh, lived right beside LMU. And so I got to go to all of the sorority and fraternity events. I got to go party at the school, but I never actually had to turn in a paper or do an exam, which was really nice. So I feel like I got like the traditional American college experience without actually having to do any of the work uh, involved in it or like the stress of it, which was really nice. Um, so that would, I would say my first college experience where I never actually paid tuition or actually attended college. Second, I attempted to go to university because I was in Tucson, Arizona, uh, dating a guy and figured I should have more reasons to move to Tucson than dating someone. So I started community college there. And let me say it ruined me for life in regards to tuition prices because I think the entire year was like $700. Um, and that was incredible. So it was like maybe $350 or $400 a semester. And I did one semester, dropped out. I think I... Yeah, I did one semester, completed four classes, started a second semester, dropped out, just wasn't ready for it uh, mentally. Like I, I've never, I never anticipated myself going to university when I left home and didn't think it was the right path for me. I, I truthfully didn't think I was smart enough to go to university. So I just always avoided it. Um, turns out I am smart enough and anyone can be, you just have to find the way that works for you. So I tried that when I was, that was in 2011, I believe. So I, I started in uh, 2007 where I did LMU, 2011 where I did community college for one semester and got like four classes worth of credits. And then after starting businesses, traveling the world for you know six years, I decided that I needed to go to university because I was running a company and I didn't know how to run it and didn't know that there were resources available for small businesses and women. So I decided I should go to university uh, to learn how to run the business I was running. And so I originally applied actually to university in Germany and got into one of the schools in Berlin, which was a three-year institution, but they couldn't have me until January. And I knew if I didn't start in September, I wouldn't go because I would just find something new to do. And um, I ended up applying to the Community College of Denver, went there for two years, um, absolutely loved it. Turns out there is like 3,500 a semester, so a lot more than my last experience. And then went to CU Boulder and graduated from there from the Lead School of Business um, and got my four-year degree. Got it. Yeah. And that was roughly... What or what year was it when you were 
about to go to Germany and yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I graduated at 29 and that was in 2017. So I, um, if I go back four years, I think it was 2012 when I moved to Denver. So 2013 was when I started uh, community college in Denver. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So a few years later. Okay. Interesting. And yeah, yeah. So that that is like three distinct periods. With a community college, like any observations, like the community college versus the quote, you know, four-year degree schools? Yeah, I love community college. And I find it, this will be something we can talk about later, but I find it so interesting how in America, people are so attached to their universities and their alumni. And also the second you graduate, people are asking you for money from your four inst your institution. You're like, I don't even have a job. You didn't even check and see if I have a job yet. Um, I have this fondness for what community college teachers do who they serve. It's such a different population. When I'm in class at community college, I'm in class with people who are ranging from 18 years old all the way to, uh, you know, 40s, 50s, uh, 60 year old students. I remember one of them. And the teachers have so much passion because they've been out into the workforce where I found the university teachers. A lot of them came from academia to academia and are in academia. And so it was really nice to have a business teacher who did this on the side, you know, was was in ran a business for a long time, you know, like uh, high up at a, in a C-suite level. And then he just wanted to impart his knowledge on the next generation of people. And there's just something about it that really was really important uh, in our like university model for me to that uh, like, it's kind of like serving in life. Like everyone should be a server one time. So you know how to be nice waiters. Mm -hmm. Like everyone should go to community college to really understand what it's like to be ex like excited about learning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So um, eventually you got the degree. Um, what, what's your degree in? Yeah, my degree is in uh, business management strategy and entrepreneurship. Okay. Rolls off the tongue. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for my college experience, I went to college right out of high school. I went to Georgia Tech and majored in computer engineering, which I started in that area, never changed majors or anything. And for the sort of cost, so this is further back. So this is like 97 through 2003 which the people that are good at math already figured out it took me six and a half years to get through. Mm -hmm. And tuition back then, this was a quarter system when I first started and then it went to semesters. But I think the quarters, I want to say it was like 1500 bucks for tuition. Okay. And then of course, uh, other housing and cost and food and all that stuff is on top of it. But pretty economical, and then I, I I can't remember when we moved to semesters how much it was, but still, you know, way less than it is now. Yeah. The other part um, is I got several scholarships, and mm -hmm. that helped a lot. Also, on top of that, I was part of the co-op program, which is kind of like an internship. Have you, are you familiar with the co-op program where you're on and off? Yep. And you kind of go and then you can go to classes and you go back to wherever you're yep. co-oping you or, it. yeah. You got it. So it's like one semester working full-time, no classes, mm -hmm. and then you, you alternate and you can do it for, you know, a set period of time or like throughout if the company will continue to have you back. The, the pro, of course, is you get, you know, on the job experience, you're building your network. If it's a good company, you could potentially work there after you graduate. They already know you. You come in with a lot of experience and knowledge of the internal company workings. So I did that. And of course, it, it takes you longer to get through school, but there's all these pros. And one of them is you earn money. Usually it's a pretty decent hourly rate and then you could pay for your schooling. So I, I did that yeah. now the side note. And I talked about this in a, uh, an episode that will come out soon. I think actually this same week that this episode comes out, but I didn't enjoy college very much. 
So when you talked about your first, uh, you know, the 2007 time period, that sounds fun. You just party, you do all the social things of college, none of the classes, no debt, you know, unless you, you know, just go out a lot. But yeah, I didn't enjoy it that much. And part of it, there's two main reasons. I won't, I won't complain too much, but the school was, uh, you know, 70% male when I went there. And then it's a Mm -hmm. bunch of engineering, nerdy, nerdy people like myself. So not not the most social fun group in the world and it's all dudes. So I I was like I got to get out into a general population and to hit a couple points that you mentioned Amberly. I went uh that first summer I was like I'm going to work at Applebee's. So I I yeah. worked at an Applebee's just to like be around normal people. It's fun to you know s- be a server and work in a restaurant like I like it's fun. I like how you call I like how you call servers normal people, but continue. <laughs> As someone who worked in the industry for 11 years, I don't know, but yeah. continue. <laughs> it's a gen- general population. We'll put it that way. Yeah. So gen pop. So we, uh, yeah, so that was fun. And then I did a couple of retail jobs too, like, you know, just around yeah. the holidays or whatever. So again, just normal kind of folks. And as time went on, I, I did start co-oping. And the thing is, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go back to Georgia Tech yet. I maybe will take some classes at a community college. So I went to yeah. a community college, I think for two semesters, just like interspersed in the first two or three years. So they were kind of the the normal classes. So I took like some whatever differential equations or some advanced calculus thing, and maybe like an English class that I didn't want to take. So it wasn't anything super critical looking back. None of the classes were critical by the way, but I took a couple semesters at a community college and I agree with what you said. It was kind of, you know, it's a little more fun, a little more laid back um, from from where I was at 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 Georgia tech, which is a engineering school. That was 20 years ago. So things have changed, but that's sort of my background. Um, It did take me six and a half years. I initially, and we'll let you, come back and fill in any um, gaps as far as uh, financial aid and, and money and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But for me, I got the scholarships. I was working. So I was in pretty good shape. Now, I did have a student loan from the very first quarter, the first semester that I was in school because the advisor said, hey, this is a great interest rate. Get the loan. Take it. Like You can use the money, blah, blah, blah. But I guess I was smart enough when I was 18, that after the first quarter or two, I was like, I don't need this extra money. Like I have money that I've saved already and I'm going to be working. So I don't need whatever $15,000 a semester or whatever they were trying to loan me. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is completely unnecessary. So I came out of college with, I think it was like maybe $12,000 of student loan debt, but it was just from like the first two terms that I was in school and then once I realized I didn't need it, I was like, well, why am I going to, why am I just going to keep borrowing money that I don't, don't need to take? So, yeah. So it came out pretty good, was able to pay that off within like a year of getting a job. So yeah, totally. what's your, what's your story on that? Well, before I get into that, I'm kind of curious, why did you go to school right after high school? That's like, what, what was uh, everyone was doing. Yeah. So yeah. no, no other reason. And that is. That's one of the big things. Like if I, I have a couple uh, nieces and I'm, I think I probably told them like, take a year off, take two years off, like just go do some stuff because, and I think now I don't have kids, so I could be off on this, but I feel like now kids are coddled a little bit more than we were back in the eighties. So eighties mm-hmm. and nineties, obviously I, I grew up a little bit later than that, but the, um, I feel like they haven't experienced as much and they weren't able to go out, go out and play as kids with like no supervision as much. Again, I don't have kids, so I don't yeah. know, but I know my, my nieces, I, I feel like they're pretty coddled and they have not had to go out on their own and like figure shit out. So yeah. 
Yeah, I, I really I will definitely dive into the non-traditional module model because that's my experience. And I always joke that I'll pay for two things for my kid. They're counseling and their first ticket abroad. Um, yeah. But like <laughs> university, I don't know. I'm, st I'm still iffy on that one and I'm pregnant. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but for me, for the, the financial thing, that was such a stressor for me. So when I went to Tucson and did my one semester of schooling, I dropped out in the second semester before I had to pay. Um, which everyone pay attention to those dates because you might screw yourself. Um, and that's first semester, I think again, I mentioned it was like 400 bucks. So who cares, right? I had a serving job. It was nothing out of my pocket. Um, got a couple credits. Some of them transferred to uh, Community College of Denver when I started there or to the university. It was to this, right? The university. Um, when I went there just for some random credits, you could you could bring in like 10 credits from some other institution. And that's what I did um, for the Community College of Denver. I was at that point over 24 years old. So I think I was tw 24 and a half. And the cool thing at 24, there's a cutoff for FAFSA. And if anyone knows who's applied for a student loan, that FAFSA determines your eligibility for free government uh, aid and your other loan types, which are secure or um, uh, secure and unsecured, I think is what it's called. I can't remember right now. But essentially, all of that comes through that one FAFSA application of what's free, what's a grant, I shouldn't say free, what is a grant, what is then you know uh, your actual student loans that you have to pay back. And because I had no estimated family contribution, so my father or mother weren't on my FAFSA application because I was now a non-traditional student, that was zero. Meaning I could get the total, you know, the biggest amount depending on my current salary, which was like $8,000 a year I could show on my tax returns and then 15 the next year. So I got the, the most that the grant was gonna allow. Um, that actually didn't cover my community college. So because CCD um, was, in my mind, so expensive, I think in Colorado, we just don't fund education the way some other states do, like California, Arizona, um, $3,500 a semester or the year, I can't remember. Either way, it was quite a lot. So I actually applied for scholarships on top of that and then got those scholarships and was able to um, come up with a bit more and actually got paid quote unquote so my books were covered and then i think i pocketed you know twelve hundred dollars a semester to be able to pay for some of my living expenses which was really nice so community college was free and then i had to graduate community college and i'm canadian and i'm looking at cu boulder as a really great business school i've always known since i was young i want to be an entrepreneur i want to go to business school and that is twenty thousand dollars a year and i remember breaking down crying being like holy moly, an in-state education is $20,000 for me to go to this school that I have to commute to every single day, you know, an hour and 30 minutes there and then back and by bus and bike. Like, how am I going to pay for that? And so I just, of course, applied to 20 different scholarships, got zero of them. Turns out as a single female who's not a home owner or home homemaker is what they call them. Uh, isn't eligible for many scholarships as other people, weirdly enough. Um, hmm. Like you have to have kids to be like really in that running uh, in, in the female category, which is really fascinating. So I applied for like 20 scholarships, didn't get any of them except for one, which then I didn't find out. So I'll go to that in a second. I also applied to CU Denver because that was only about $10,000 a year. And that one was, um, I guess manageable in my mind, but to me was a lesser institution because it was a commuter school, uh, less of a reputation than CU Boulder in regards to the United States um, and wasn't my first choice. But when it came down to money, I had, I had to figure something out. So I, I applied to both, got into both and then got the call halfway through summer, like maybe two months before school started that I got a full ride scholarship to CU Boulder if I wanted to attend. And I remember talking to the lady on the phone and she's telling me this, like, you've got the scholarship, it's completely free. And I just was like, wait, wait, wait. Like you're saying every piece of my tuition is free. And she's like, yeah. So I was like, should I go apply for other scholarships? She's like, no, cause we'll just reduce this one. And so that'd just be more work. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I could not wow. believe that I had essentially the next two years of my life figured out 
monetarily and didn't have to walk away with 40 grand of student debt just in education costs. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you know do you know why you got the the full ride specifically or like is there any do you know? Yeah. So one of the things is because I came from a community college. So there is um, an agreement, which is really cool with, um, so this is partial, part of my scholarship was this. The agreement in Colorado is your community college of Denver or whatever community college, front range community college credits will transfer into CU Boulder. They have to transfer. They have an agreement. Not every state has this so that you can go and finish your education at a four-year institution. And part of that is like um, there's some sort of credit or scholarship for non-traditional students coming from a community college background to try and get them to do university, like to actually finish university. And so that was part of, it was half my scholarship. So I think 10,000 of that was just the fact that I actually went to community college first. Um, so yeah, lovely. Absolutely lovely. Cool. That's awesome. Um, okay. A anything else on your background or my background you think we should get into before we dive into some of the, the bullet points here? Well, one of the things I was going to say is that with you, like you had to, you had to go out and seek jobs and opportunities to kind of get into that real world experience where I did that first. So I traveled the world. I had my own company. I, you know, did odd jobs. And so one of the cool things is I was able to manage the stress of school and working three jobs at the same time because I was just so used to that as being part of my life, that responsibility kind of already put on me, not trying to navigate that responsibility through university. And I think that's such a, like you said, that's a skill that maybe younger people don't have in general, but younger people who don't have life experience don't have yet. So anyways, that was just something that I, I really connected with that I understood. Good observation. So we have a number of questions and, and thanks, Amberly. I'll acknowledge you put together the outline. You have a lot of different points here. So um, I could steer it a little bit, but I'll, I'll actually turn it over to you. So where do you see this conversation going next? Well, one of the things that you actually just brought up is that you graduated in six and a half years, although you worked and did school. The one thing I want to always preface these academia and, uh, you know, higher education, when we're talking about it in this set context, in this setting, especially with student loans, I'm talking about a four-year degree at um, an undergraduate institution, public or private, but mostly public is when I'm thinking about this. Um, and we say four years, right? only 41% of people graduate within four years of like an 18 year old starting university, 41% graduate in four years. And it was something like, I put my notes here, 59% graduate in six years. So I find that just something to preface the conversation with that actually when we talk about a four year degree and how much it costs for four years, it's not four years, it's five. Like add that extra year on when you're actually doing your estimates, people, uh, because yeah, the norm isn't to graduate right away. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think back and I know a lot of the, a lot of the people at Georgia tech did a co-op or something different. And it does have a reputation like many other schools that it's kind of hard and it, it does take a little bit longer. And this was 20 years ago, which I don't know when those stats are, are from, but anyway, that is a great thing to, to bring up because you do have to borrow money for longer or, or what, whatever it is if you are borrowing money. Okay. Yeah. And on, on that borrowing money, like one of the things that I thought would be really interesting to talk about is interest rates for borrowers for students. And you already brought up that your advisor was like, hey, this is a low interest rate. And probably in comparison to maybe interest rates in the, the 90s or something like that, I don't, you know, they were pretty large back then. But do you remember what your interest rate was? I don't, I want to say, I want to say it was around 5%, but I, I don't remember. Yeah. Which seems to be kind of, you know, I've, I've talked to and coached people on their finances and they have interest rates right now varying from three to 7%. Like I have someone who had 7.6% interest rates and they went to school 10 years ago at this point. Um, and so that's something I'm curious about, Doug, like, do you think interest rates should be fixed or like, what do you how should we do interest rates for students? I hadn't thought about it until you asked. I, I suspect, 
I would like to see them sort of like in the same sort of competitive market as like any other loan where there's like different products and like the market hopefully can figure out like what the best fit is depending on supply and demand and the other, you know, market components in place. So that's a kind of a long way to not answer the question of, I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I was, I was going to say that's a really non-committal answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess for me, the one thing I think about is education in any form. So whether that is a four-year institution or some sort of apprenticeship is a really important part of getting our population to contribute productively to our society. There are other ways of doing it. You don't need to go to university or schooling to do that. As someone who didn't do it, I was a very effective contributor to our society without schooling. But I think we need to put this in a different category than car loans, house loans, which are optional engagements in our society where I find education in whatever form it is, is less optional. And if we want to have a, like not a, you know, a more educated population and again, whatever form feels right to them, then I think that we need to manage our student loan interest rates accordingly. And I think of places like Germany who have very low interest rates for their borrowers and your interest rate doesn't necessarily uh, kick in for a while, which I think is a great thing that we do in the United States as well, where um, they have a longer term. And for them, at least some of my friends had explained to me in Germany, was that until you hit a certain threshold, so you make $30,000 a year or something, you don't actually pay your student loans back because you're just trying to build up those first couple years and work your way into a place where you can actually afford to live your life and pay back the loans, which is an interesting model. I don't know if it would work here or not, but something that I think about that we do need to protect borrowers, which also means crackdown on institutions, because we right. can't talk about student loans without talking about the disrespect of students by institutions <laughs> and their pricing. Um, so yeah, that's something I think about is that maybe we should have a better way of um, accounting for interest. People need to get their money back plus more, but should it be at the expense of our education of our population? Right. And well, like I, I said, I, I don't know the answer to that. What you said yeah. makes sense, and, and I don't disagree. I think you know part of it is the sheer cost of tuition as it's grown over the years. Because I know, I mean, it was pretty cheap when I went to college, and it was only like twenty years ago. And yeah. the tuition that you threw out, obviously, CU Boulder is a pretty expensive school, right? Like it's one of the most expensive yeah. state schools. Is that right? I would assume so. Yeah. I'm, I haven't seen these types of prices any most other places. And I mean, this is a conversation that's happening out there, but yeah, like it's so expensive and the, the tuition so high and like it, it doesn't make sense, especially for certain degrees where you're not going to be able to earn much with that degree by itself, but it costs you $150,000 to get, I won't, I won't disparage anyone's education out there and mention a specific degree. We'll say basket weaving, all right? You got a master's in basket weaving and you just can't earn enough to pay back the 150K in a reasonable amount of time, at least not weaving those baskets. So any thoughts on that, just like how the cost has risen so much? Yeah, I had read before that we have a lot more... Um, admin staff at universities, but I couldn't tell you exactly why it's risen so much. Um, that's something I didn't actually take a, a look into. Uh, school over time is just going to cost more. Everything costs more over time, you know, based on the fact that just things cost more money to operate. But again, it, the United States, because I don't find this is the same with Canada, has a really wonky way of looking at education where it's like this experience that you need to go and you live in the dorms and then there's these football games, which I understand actually bring in a lot of money to the university. So I don't think I should disparage that very much. Um, and to me, that's like a really fascinating, every, you know, their alma mater is like 
when people found out I was going to see you Denver, they're like, oh, okay, cool. And then the same people found out I went to see you or was going to see you Boulder and they had gone. We're so excited. And like, now all of a sudden we're best friends. And there's this like very interesting um, identity with your schooling here that we don't experience in Germany and Canada. Like no one talks about Carleton University and is like, that is amazing. That's the best thing you've ever done. Like, okay, no, we just, we just went to school and then we graduated and we moved on with our life. Um, and so I think that our people are willing to pay more for like emotional reasons too. So it's not just the institutions, but people are willing to pay for these institutions for like these emotional connections to family lines and friends. Um, so I guess this is my long winded answer of saying, I don't know why the, the costs have raised, I think it's a bit of the institutions probably running out of control, the ability for borrowers to get whatever they want and not actually know what's going on when they're signing these pieces of paper at 18. And then this being a huge crash in the middle where we're seeing here in 2022, where people are just out of control in debt. Um, I did want to say that the average debt for an undergraduate student in 2020 is $36,000, which to me is a manageable amount. Um, but then if you have a 7% interest rate on that, then all of a sudden that becomes less manageable. Um, so yeah, so I guess, I, I don't know, it's a long-winded way, way of giving some thoughts there. Yeah. Yeah, I like a, a lot of what you said. And I mean, I, I'm i not a big sports fan, so I didn't really care about the the football experience. But yeah, I'm thinking of some of the, you know, some of the giant stadiums that hold like 60,000 people or whatever. And yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing and it brings in a ton of money. And I think you nailed it where, you know, the, the borrowers, the students could borrow basically whatever they wanted and the institutions were able to charge like higher and higher amounts. And mm -hmm. I, I can't quite remember, um, the stats. I didn't, I didn't do any research for this specifically, but the you know costs always rise inflation mm -hmm. cost rise but i think the education prices like grew like four i'm just making up the stat right. but it grew like four or 10x more than like other areas of expenses so like it, it definitely outpaced it and then it's like even harder not necessarily but it's it's difficult potentially to get a job where you could actually pay back the debt and, and you you mentioned a stat earlier about an acceptable amount of student loan debt coming out of school. Can, can you mention that here? Yeah. So when I talk to CPAs and financial professionals, the rule of thumb, whether we want to agree with this or not, is that your total amount of student debt from your four to five year uh, degree shouldn't equal more than your first year salary. So if okay. I'm walking out with an average of $36,000 worth of debt, but I'm making $50,000 a year, you're within the threshold from professionals saying, yeah, you did it okay. Like you did it right. Um, if you're walking out at 150, which, you know, those specific career paths we need in our society, but if you're walking out with $150,000 in debt and you're making $45,000 a year at say, whatever um, place you're at, you are like, you can't get out from under that one. And that's, and, and if your potential to grow isn't high, which I think this, you're probably thinking of the same careers there, um, you're really limited on how far you can go. And so the ability to pay that back is pretty much non-existent at that point. You're just constantly doing um, income-based repayments uh, for the rest yeah. of your life. Okay. And I guess this is a good point to talk about canceling of student loan debt. So I haven't spent too much time thinking about this one. I do have some thoughts and I'll, I'll go first here. So actually I won't go first because I think it may be better if you, uh, or do you want me to, do you want me to go first? Yeah. You okay. can't cough out and put me on the stand here. <laughs> All right. So I, I don't have, like most things, I don't have very strong feelings on it. I think one of the the difficulties here is there's a lot of people that didn't go to college, right? There's a lot of people that mm -hmm. didn't go to college and they don't have any student loan debt because they, they didn't need to do that. And I think mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the difficulties is like, all right, we'll uh, forgive whatever 10K of student loan debt 
But all the people that didn't go to college and they're doing, you know, great jobs, maybe they're, you know, whatever, fill in, fill in jobs, right? There's tons of them out there. And they, they don't get anything, right? And everything is not fair. But if they're like productive members of society doing their thing, there's no reason not to recognize like these non-university folks that should get something if, if the people with student loans. So any thoughts on that? Oh, I have thoughts on that because this okay. is a huge debate going on, especially trades versus not like, you know, four-year academics versus tradespeople. This is like a, another thing in our country where I think we're trying to, we have like sewing division here. And I actually disagree with you completely. So what happens in a four-year institution? So say I have $10,000 of my $30,000 or $10,000 worth of loans forgiven. This, although all taxpayers are responsible for this, so are all taxpayers responsible for when someone gets sick at the hospital and doesn't pay when they pay through Medicaid, right? Or Medicare. So then we're forgiving those people's essentially issues and debt, but it's just not as visual. Like we don't see it happening. We also have people who are in the trades who are like, well, why can't I get my truck that I get to that was one of the things I saw was a, a direct comparison. So I'm going to use yeah. that as a direct comparison. I buy a truck for my work. I don't get 10,000 of that forgiven yet. The person who went to university to prepare for their education to use that gets their $10,000 done. The person who's in university, A, doesn't have a choice on what their tuition costs are. So they have to sign that paper no matter what, if they want to go to it. So I think that's just something to take into account. Secondly, the person who buys a $70,000 truck doesn't necessarily need a $70,000 truck may not need a truck at all. This is something that's a choice that they're making for their business, that they're making money right away in a return on. And it's a cost of doing business, just like when that, that student graduates, they have to go and buy a car or a wardrobe to get to the office, and those things won't be forgiven. So I think that to equate the two, although I understand why people might, might say, why you, not me, isn't the right way to do it, because then we can start saying that about most things in life. Why does a student loan, um, someone who has student loans, not get that debt forgiven when they go into bankruptcy, yet someone who might get that $10,000 of credit card debt wiped away in bankruptcy with consequences? So then now, I don't know, I, I feel like they're not apples to apples comparisons. And my biggest gripe with the student loan $10,000 is what's happening to the institutions? Why is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac still being able to? give out these huge student loans? Why are the universities able to charge this amount without consequence? Like that's where I'm thinking, let's stop talking about the, the guy who gets a truck and the person <laughs> who has student loans. Why don't we go to the next source up, which we don't do, we just yell at each other and right. say, why are we actually paying this in the first place? Yeah, the good points there. Yeah, and I, I don't know, I mean, the one, one thing I'll challenge you on there, and it could have just yeah. been the phrasing or I heard it wrong, but, you know, it was kind of like the student doesn't have a choice on mm. like going, going to that school or whatever. And, you know, number one, they could go to a different school. They can, I mean, it's easy for me to say, right. I came from a privileged spot. Um, although I, I will say I paid for all, all of my schooling. I, I didn't get help from my parents or anything like that. I did get the scholarships, which was helpful, but at the end of the day, I, I worked for those as well. You know, you don't, you don't just show up and you got all the scholarships, but, um, no. you know, the person can make a choice potentially now, obviously when you're 18 or if you waited a little while and you're, you're still young, you, I mean, people make mistakes and maybe they, they went to school and later on they realized, Oh shit, this was a bad degree. It was an expensive school for no good reason. And like, they're kind of stuck in a spot. So I get that. And as normal, like I, I don't have a strong stand on it. I mean, I have taken stands, uh, quick tangent. I do take stands on like real estate in different areas, but this, this stuff, I, I, I'm not quite sure. And I can understand like if someone does have like 150 K of debt and they're, they're only able to make like 40 K a year because of the specific degree or maybe the geography they're in or a number of other factors. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you get out from under that. 
Yeah. And I agree with you. I kind of threw out a bunch of examples that don't like I was doing like apples to orange comparisons yeah. there, I feel like. And one of the things I do agree with is that I think too many people make the choice to go to university when who shouldn't be going, first of all. They also don't look at other options. Like you said, I, I worked in the financial aid office for a year at Community College of Denver, and I watched these kids do really bad decision making. And no one applies for scholarships. Like we had a scholarships that were unfunded. Like we had money for students and no one applied. And so that's like my number one tip to anyone is apply to everything. Even if you're not like not a hundred percent their candidate, apply for it anyways, because there is there are too many scholarships out there and not enough applicants sometimes. And um you have a choice to go to community college. Your school might be pressured, like your high school might be pressuring, your parents might be pressuring you, but eventually you're an adult and you have to make your own decisions. And so to go to CU Boulder for four years at $20,000 a year paying out of pocket or a parent plus loan is a ridiculous thing. When you can go down the street for two of those four years at $3,500 and then bring that in, like that, that to me seems, that's bad decision making. And yeah, so so I agree with you that actually there are choices. And again, I wouldn't leap to the fact that we should or shouldn't. That one I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on if we should or shouldn't actually forgive student loan debt. But the conversation around it, I do have a strong opinion on mm -hmm. in regards to what's fair or not fair. Well, and part of the conversation, you know, we talked about tuition and how it's risen over the years. So, you know, there's a lot more virtual classes, I think. And, you know, part of it was the pandemic, but I mean, technology has come a long way. So one of the points you had was, should tuition be less because there's more virtual classes and, you know, technically the cost and the admin and the infrastructure should be less. So yeah. go ahead. I mean, my, uh, my official stance would be like, yes, right? The idea is um, if you are no longer paying for parts of the services, then you don't like, it's yeah. kind of like an airplane nowadays, right? You're like, okay, I don't need to bring my luggage on. So if I'm not like attending in person and putting my bag in the seat, why am I paying for that um, part of the education? And my fin talkers uh, had some really good points to counteract me on that uh, because one of them uh, was, it, or two of them are actually working at higher education institutions. And this is a conversation that these institutions are having and have been forced to have because of the pandemic, but it was going this way anyways, I think, virtual classes. And their stance at this specific university was that they are not going to be reducing prices. They won't, like there is no reduction in price. There is no change for virtual classes or full-time virtual schooling because you're paying for the reputation of the school you're paying for the research that's coming out of the school and so whether i agree with that or not i don't know but that was their reasoning that this school and i would assume most schools will not reduce tuition based on virtual classes yeah and i i hope i think that's crazy um but <laughs> yep. I mean, they just think so much of themselves. And, you know, I said I didn't enjoy college too much, but um, yeah, I mean, unless unless it's like one of the top fucking top five schools, like probably outside the region, no one gives a shit. You mentioned the school yeah. earlier. We won't mention it here, but I was like, who cares about that school? I, I don't have, I don't think that school has a reputation. It's probably regional, I guess. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, unless you're kind of like an MBA, right? Unless you're in a mm -hmm. top 10 school, like probably doesn't yeah. matter. You don't have an MBA, right? No, no I looked okay. into it and I was like, not worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. And I mean, I know a couple people, you know, they, they took a year or two off, but then it's like opportunity cost and they went to a very mm -hmm. good school. So I think they were able to recoup it pretty quick and it made sense financially. Yeah. Um. But yeah, anyway, any other thoughts on the re reduction in price or? No, I think, I think we're going to see this play out in the next few years. Um, some universities, my understanding, there are some, um, I won't mention the institutions, are actually raise price for virtual classes because they want to dissuade students from actually taking those. 
So that's fascinating to me. That also is like such a great thing for young people, right? In Canada, a lot of my friends stay at home for university. So they go like here, there's a very big move to a different state, go into a dorm culture for university, but we don't have that in Canada. It happens, but not as much. And the ability to do virtual classes from the comfort of your own home, aka your parents' home while working and making money makes university much more affordable and accessible to a lot more people, I think. Could be wrong, but um, so to keep prices the same for that virtual access, I, yeah, I don't know. Did you have many virtual classes? No. Uh, CU Boulder didn't do those at all. CCD didn't have any. I think maybe, no, I don't even think I had one. Okay. Everything in person. Do you think, or I guess, would you think it would have impacted certain classes or there are certain classes where you're like, you know, that could have been virtual and I wouldn't have missed anything? Um, yeah. What do you think? Well, I think a mix is really good. And I'm at this one I might I might not take a full stance on, but here here's the way I think about it from my work perspective, because I'm fully remote employee. Um and you need to know the job well to be able to be a motivated work from home employee in my mind, right? So when you're learning, learning virtually can be a lot more difficult because if you don't, if you're kind of confused all the time and you don't have the motivation, you can start easily dropping off and not showing up. And there's a lot less accountability to your friends who are in class with you, um, to your peers who are in class with you, and then to your professors who get to know you. Um, so I would say that it depends on the learner, whether or not this is like something that they can do easily. Um, and for me, for university, being in person was really beneficial. I don't know if I would have finished my four-year degree if I didn't go in person. Okay. Gotcha. What about you? Um, what, what was, what was the question? <laughs> Like, would you, do you, how do you think virtual would have changed your experience? And like, would you, Oh, would you do it? Gotcha. So virtual, I think, I think it would have been okay. I'm a pretty good self studier and learner in a lot of ways. And yeah. like, like to the point where not so much in, in college, but in high school, I would like read ahead and like basically do the lesson on my own so when i like went to class like sometimes i already kind of knew it and it was kind of review only yeah. for certain classes but yeah i'm sort of self-motivated and also a lot of times i'll say i'm introverted but i think i'm maybe like the uh what is it ambi ambi yep. yeah ambivert so I think I might be more like that. So I am totally okay, like not being in a more social setting and blah, blah, blah. I did always go to, you know, classes, missed very few, maybe like yeah. 2% or so, like one, very few. And yeah. I think I would have mostly been okay. A lot of the, you know, big classes where there's, you know, 200 people in there, like you're not having like one-on-one -on -one conversations with a professor anyway. A lot of that was in office hours with TAs or you know, some other tutor type person. So I think it would have been mostly okay. There were a couple, um, a couple like lab classes, which of course you got to be in there. You do get like individual help. And I think those are the kind of classes where, you know, maybe, maybe now the technology is advanced enough and like you could have like a camera over your circuit board or whatever mm -hmm. and actually have someone say, oh yeah, you know, do this, do that. And it would, it would be okay virtually. So I think potentially mine would have been totally okay, but that is because I'm, I'm a little bit odd <laughs> and can like just work on my own. And I, you know, I can learn on my own in many ways. So. Yeah. And I think, again, like that would be a cool thing to have this hybrid approach where some people who can do virtual do virtual and who can't, can't. My entire four-year degree could have been virtual. There is nothing that I needed oh, yeah. to be in those classrooms for. <laughs> nothing at all. Um, a leadership class? No, I could do that easily <laughs> virtually. Um, 
So yeah, and I think it depends on the age of the student as well. Like you said, if someone is not having as much life experience going in there and having a professor critique the way that you're dressed, how you're speaking, what that looks like, how you come off like with your posture, um, shouldn't be the, the role of the professor, but it is part of that education when it comes to the young students who are 18 years old. Very yeah. good. So we're kind of winding down here. Do you have any other uh, points you want to cover real quick? And then I have kind of a final question we can wrap up with. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I just would love to challenge people who are parents or aunts and uncles um, or grandparents is why do you think your kid needs to go to university and especially right away? And that's someone who, again, traveled the world for six years, found myself like, learned what, um, you know, what it is I wanted and what it is I didn't want. Uh, it was such an incredible experience for me to go back to academia and like apply myself in a whole different way. I could tell that I was very different than the younger students and being able to take a gap year, like the Aussies do, some Canadians do like that really should be an option for your children and for your friends and family and, you know, people not just this pushing of a four-year degree or like we do in canada we're we're pretty big in the trades here so almost i would say my high school is a lot of people went to university and a lot of them went to trades and they're still trades people today making very good money as plumbers electricians um handymen and it's a completely viable option a bunch of other um career paths that do not require someone at 18 years old just to continue what they've been doing for 18 years. Yep. And I heard on a podcast, I can't remember which one, but it was some entrepreneur type thing. And he hired an electrician. I think it was out of Austin. He hired an electrician and was chatting with a guy. And what's your guess for like an electrician in, you know, a big city in Texas? What do you think they make a year? And I think it's not like the owner. He he just has like right. say like one truck, his own equipment. Yeah. What do you think he pulls in? Yeah. Uh, one hundred and thirty thousand a year. He said two hundred. So no he's making freaking way. Yeah. So like maybe you know again we're you, you I think you're like ten years behind me or so. So like twenty yeah. years ago, like electrician, it's like ah, uh, do they make much? But that was just like one one dude doing what he wanted, 200K. Like imagine if you you were like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm going to have like a small fleet of a few people. Yeah. You stop going out on call. Like you can make a ton of money if you were a little, you know, business savvy and you had the trade skills. So I would definitely look at those areas. I mean, it's it's such a... In the, in the market today, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you can like get paid while you're apprenticing and it's a highly skilled like thing. So, okay. Yeah. Final um, question here. And you, you maybe kind of answered it um, indirectly, but looking back, you went through a, what looks to be a three phase college career over about 10 years or so. If you could just yeah. go back and I'm not looking for like, do you have any regrets? But if you were like, if I could plan it, what would I do now? So if you could go back and, and rejigger it, what, what would you have done? Literally nothing different. I think getting my feet wet to be able to make friends and party my face off for a year and a half and realize like, oh, I don't love alcohol that much was a great experience without putting $40,000 of LMU debt into my bank account um, or my net worth. Um, and then having that little stint in Tucson, I wouldn't have done the second semester, That's which is really inconsequential, but I knew I didn't want to go. I still didn't feel confident in learning. I wasn't I wasn't confident in myself at that time. And that first semester was great to get my feet wet, but I really didn't like it. It was something I was doing to pass the time so that I could date someone and then eventually break up with them. So like, I could have just gone maybe without that phase, but I think without that little bit of like, well, I did it, I know how to navigate this. I don't know if I would have easily have integrated into the, the next phase, which was when I really got serious, did Khan Academy every single night after like, like you did, like I tried to, work ahead math I hadn't done in 10 years at that point. 
I feel like each one of those little pieces prepped me to do it right for the four years I ended up really uh, buckling down and doing it. And I, if I were to go back, I just wouldn't stress as much about money because $40,000 over two years is a lot. But I put myself under a lot of stress of whether or not I should even go and finish my degree. And that's what I think I would have gone back and said, hey, Amberly, just like chill out. Like you're going to make good money. You can pay this back. Don't, don't question your entire life on $40,000. Very good. Well, for me, I think I would go to LMU and party for a couple years <laughs> as a gap, yeah. gap two years. And uh, no, I probably would have a gap year or two would have been good to just travel around. I yeah. think that would have been pretty fun. And like you said, you get some life experience, you get to figure a few things out and just, you know, you, you don't have many responsibilities at that point in your life. So it's a good time to go just mess around. So that would have been good. And I think I'm, I, uh, I maybe would have looked at a couple different schools where like maybe you, you transfer, transfer in and out and like dual degree kind of stuff. I think that could have been interesting. And then the complete left turn is I, um, I had a, like a lawn care business in high school and there was, um, small business owner that I cut grass for and he sold his business and he was like, Hey man, you got a good, good thing going. You can get a, a little crew and you have good customer service. You're, and I was like 17, right? He was like, you're, you're pretty good. Like working with the customers and stuff, but you, you can like organize this and have a nice little business. And I was from a, the Atlanta area, which grew a lot, a lot of residential, a lot of commercial, like potentially it would have made more sense for me just to run with that for like two or three years. And then, I mean, I probably could have benefited from like some very light business classes, but really I probably could have gone to like an entrepreneurship group and just like learn from small business owners that were like actually doing stuff and like completely skip school and not really care, but that would be that's completely different. So. Yeah, but that's an alternative life. I get that completely because I had a business and I, I shut it down to go to school to learn how to do business. And so I completely understand that, that maybe if you just persevered a little bit longer in that one and had the resources that you needed or knew where they were, yeah, you could have made something of it. And I get yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And it could be a whole other conversation. But what, what was your business but as we wrap up here? What was your business that you shut down to go to school? Yeah, I so I worked with luxury apartment buildings in Denver, Colorado, and I did film screenings for like food, uh, so like snacks and film screenings about different food things, like and, and then um, cooking classes and workshops, so how to make pasta, how to do juicing, that type of thing. And then I had the side business that was really growing, which was uh, preparing meals for people for dinner and lunch and dropping them off daily in Pyrex dishes uh, to their fridges so that they would like for working professionals have five uh, meals, five days a week, which is now a billion dollar industry called Blue Apron and uh, HelloFresh and everything else. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I was going to say like that works. And then I'm sure during the pandemic timeframe, like that kind of stuff maybe did well. I don't know. Yeah. It did well for me. I I paid for Hello Apron or HelloFresh for a while. Oh man. It's it's so expensive, but okay. I was building a house. Last, last thing. So Tell us just a little bit more about FinTalks. Uh, how could people sign up if they want to check it out? Yeah, if you want to find me, Instagram is Amberly Grant. So A-M-B-E-R-L-Y-G-R-A-N-T. So you can find me there. Uh, I answer my DMs personally. So if you message me, I'll say hello. Um, if you want to join FinTalks, amberlygrant.com has a little link and you can put your email address in there. I only allow three-ish new people a week on it. So I as this podcast comes out, I'll probably have like 20 people who are interested. So just expect that you'll get a link uh, probably within a month or two 
to join. I don't like to overwhelm the group with new people because we're actually quite tight and uh, really enjoy having new people come in, but you need to integrate into our little community. Uh, so those are great ways of doing it. I'm also starting my TikTok channel that I've been using. Um, so I've been putting videos up there, which is just Amberly Grant and having a unique name means that I get pretty much my name on every platform, which is awesome. Very cool. And, and can you let us know what a new person on FinTalks might expect? So you said there's like 40 or 50 people. Like mm -hmm. if someone shows up and they're brand yeah. new, like what, what happens? Well, you get to interact with me, which I'm sorry in advance. Um, so if you're a new person, we like our group is so welcoming and inviting. Um, we have two kind of sections of our group, which is the visual part. So you can I, I encourage everyone to have their cameras on. About two thirds of people do have their cameras on for the entire talk. Um, if you're eating spaghetti, maybe turn it off. I don't know. Um, and then we have the chat portion. So people who just really don't like to speak can do in the chat, uh, can interact in the chat. And that just like goes off. It's really fun. Uh, if you're joining for the very first time, I will call you out and ask you to put your camera on and tell me your first and last name, your location, because guess what? We're all around the country and it's fun to connect in person. And then three, what is a fun financial fact? So it could be like, oh, uh, to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it costs three cents to eat that, right? Um, whatever you want to do for your financial fun fact. And then um, just note that I may call on you in the call. Like I like to host it where everyone can talk. There are people who dominate more than others in the sense that like people are comfortable speaking, but I will bring you into the fold um, again, whether in the chat or on screen and I'll get to know your personality a little bit so that I don't embarrass you or anything. Um, but yeah, uh, there is swearing from time to time, uh, but everyone has really cool opinions and I guarantee you'll get a little something out of it being either kind of silent in the background for the first couple or uh, joining you know, weekly in it contributing. Okay. So even if someone's a little shy, pretty low barrier and, you know, you may call on people, but it's just to get the conversation going, not to like pick on someone who's distracted or anything like that. It's not like a class. No, oh God, no. Yeah. yeah cool. I'm not really interested cool. in that. Like, yeah, the really cool thing is, as I said, like my personality comes out in this, but you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm just a curious person. And so I like to bring that, um, bits of adventure and curiosity to each person in that call. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks, Amberly. We'll put links for all the stuff and it was great talking to you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me and chatting. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the mile high five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington the balder host and carl jensen is the cool sexy one if you dig the show please do three things for us number one tell a friend a family member an enemy about the show we really don't care who you tell maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like it's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word it's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in in person so the virtual kind's pretty good and more importantly your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer. This show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.